In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The parable of the wicked tenants is told during Holy Week, the final week of Jesus' earthly life. He had wept over Jerusalem, he had cleansed the temple, and he would spend his last days before the cross teaching the people and preaching the gospel. But not everyone liked what Jesus had to say. According to Luke's gospel, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of Jerusalem were opposed to him. From Jesus' point of view, this was nothing new. It was a bitter irony, of course, that Jerusalem, which literally means city of peace, had for centuries tortured and killed the prophets that God had sent. And Jesus knew that he himself would be no exception. So the identity of the wicked tenants is no secret. They are the chief priests, scribes, and elders of Jerusalem. And even they realized that Jesus was preaching this parable against them. Most Christians today would probably have sided with the chief priests, scribes, and elders, even if only for one reason. Preaching a sermon against someone is not nice. And the first commandment in the church today is not, thou shalt have no other gods, but rather, thou shalt always be nice. <laughs> the problem is that Jesus was not always nice. He did not always play nice with others. And he did not only say nice things. Well, does that mean then that Jesus was the kind of not nice person you meet so frequently online? Perhaps he would be dropping vitriolic one-liners on Facebook or Twitter to make his opponents look like idiots. No, that's certainly not how Jesus was either. It's true that Jesus was not always nice, but he was always good. And goodness is precisely what's lacking in our online discourse and throughout so much of our land. Psalm 107 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And Psalm 145 says, The Lord is good to all. In other words, God is good, and God is good to all, even to those who are his enemies. He is good even to those chief priests, scribes, and elders. Goodness is not at all subjective. Goodness is godness. Jesus does not set out to tell people what they want to hear. Rather, he tells them what they need to hear. Whether his words might be thought of as nice or not nice is entirely beside the point. His words are for the good of his neighbor, for the good of those that he has come to save. And that's everyone. So to those who hate him, Jesus tells the parable of the wicked tenants. Though it isn't what they want to hear, though it isn't particularly nice, it is what they need to hear, and it is for their good. He says it to them not because he hates them, but rather precisely because he loves them as his own. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went to another country for a long while. The vineyard, of course, belonged to him. He was the one who had dug it and cleared it of stones. He was the one who had planted it with choice vines. He had built this vineyard all by himself. What's more, it was he who handpicked and hired those tenants, 
giving them employment so that not only they but also their families could eat. In return, he was simply to receive the share of fruit that was rightly his. But when the time came and the vineyard owner sent his servant to the tenants for some of the fruit, not only did those tenants refuse to give up a single grape, they beat his servant and sent him back with nothing. Imagine if you were that vineyard owner and your servant returned to you not only empty-handed, but beaten. If it were you or me, we'd have those tenants out of there so fast it would make their heads spin. No second chances. But what does this vineyard owner do? He simply sends another servant. No surprise to us, they beat him up too and treat him shamefully, and he returns empty-handed. A third time, the vineyard owner sends a servant. Again, no surprise to us, they wound him and cast him out with nothing. If you or I were the vineyard owner, we wouldn't have put up with any of this. Not once, not twice, but three times he's been cheated. And that's three strikes, and those wicked tenants need to be out. And what the vineyard owner does next, not a single one of us would do either. Indeed, one cannot help to think that this vineyard owner is naive at best or a complete fool at worst. Into the violent hands of those terrible tenants, the vineyard owner sends his beloved son. Surely they will respect him, he thinks to himself. Of course, as we could have guessed, respect him they do not. When they saw the vineyard owner's beloved son, they said, this is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. They took his beloved son, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What then will the vineyard owner do to those wicked tenants? Finally, he will give them what they deserve. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. That's what Jesus says. What is it that Jesus is saying? What message is he communicating to these chief priests, scribes, and elders of Jerusalem? To those who are rejecting him. And worse, to those who are using their positions of authority to cause other people to reject him and to reject the grace of and forgiveness of God. Jesus tells them exactly what they need to hear. In rejecting God's Son, they are electing to be destroyed. He says it to them not because he hates them, but because it's true and because he does not want them to be destroyed. He wants them to repent. He does not desire the death, not even the death of the wicked. God desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus receives sinners and tax collectors, and he receives chief priests, scribes, and elders as well. There is no one who Jesus will not receive. There is no sin too great that he will not forgive. There is no sinner too awful that is beyond his love and his redemption. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order, order that the world might be saved through him. Indeed, 
God sent his son into the world to be the cornerstone. That's what the text says, a cornerstone of a new creation. A cornerstone of eternal peace with God and man. But as Jesus also says, everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Which is to say very plainly that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. This is a word that must be spoken to any and to all who reject Jesus. And it ought to be spoken as well to those who are drifting away and also to those who have already cut themselves off from the church and thus cut themselves off from receiving Jesus and his gifts. Is it a nice message to bring? No, but it is loving and it is good. As Jesus prepares to go to the cross, bearing the sins of the whole world upon his shoulders, even their sins, he can do nothing more for these chief priests, scribes, and elders than tell them the truth. The one who rejects his cross, the one who rejects what he has come to do, the one who rejects the grace and love of God in Christ Jesus will be destroyed. Turning the volume down on this truth is like taking out the batteries of a screaming smoke detector. It's stupid. So Jesus pulls no punches, nor troubles himself with whether or not he will be perceived as being nice. But of course, what's most striking and what's most astounding about this parable is how laden it is with the gospel. What's most striking and most astounding is neither the wickedness of the tenants nor the fact that the wicked tenants finally get what they deserve. What's most striking and most astounding is the grace and the forgiveness of the vineyard owner, sending one servant after another and then sending his own beloved son. Foolishness. That's what we would call it. Naivete at least if we're being honest. But there's much more to it than that. When the vineyard owner sends his own beloved son, that is precisely the gospel. St. Paul would later write, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, God knows full well that when he sends his prophets, they will be rejected by sinners. And when he sends his only begotten son, he will be crucified by sinners. But nonetheless, God has determined that through this greatest of all evils, he would work the greatest of all goods. By the blood of Jesus, his son, he will blot out not only the sins of his enemies, but the sins of the entire world. And in this foolish act of sending his son to die, he shows forth this hidden and unimaginable wisdom, that God's own son, yes, that God himself, would give himself into death for the life of the world.
the only way in which this world could be saved. Who on earth would do what the vine dresser did, sending servant after servant and then sending his own beloved son? And the answer is no one on earth. And that's the point. God does not do what we would do. His ways are not our ways. He is more patient, more gracious, and more merciful than we would ever be. His beloved son, Jesus, was cast out of the vineyard and murdered on the rocky ground of Golgotha. And one would think that his blood would cry out for vengeance, for retribution, for payback, for justice. Instead, his blood cries out into God's ear for mercy. Mercy for those who don't deserve mercy. Forgiveness for those who don't deserve forgiveness. For you and for me. Jesus' blood pleads into our Father's ears for you and for me. And this pleading the Father cannot and will not ignore. His beloved Son was cast out so that you and I might be drawn in. Drawn into the family of God our Father, who is gracious and merciful beyond what we can grasp. And that is really the point of this parable. Just as it is really the point of all the scriptures. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. While we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And how could we forget when the vineyard owner's beloved son takes his cup and puts the wine to your lips and says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. It is given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. No, Jesus may not always be nice, but that's precisely because he is very, very good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.